Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know about a five-day challenge we're running to help you get your first or best blog post out of your head and into the world so that you can help the people that need you. If you've ever stared at a blank screen, watching the cursor blink at you mockingly, or if you've ever battled with an inner critic that thinks you don't have anything interesting to say, or if you've ever written a blog but nobody's actually read it, which really, really hurts, the five-day challenge will get you tapping away, confident in the knowledge that your content will reach people and help them. Over five days, we will choose a blog topic and title that people are actually searching for, Plan a blog that will engage and educate your readers. Write that blog in under one hour and publish the blog and track its progress. You'll get daily tasks and actions to take, including walkthrough videos. And I'll be hosting a Q&A every evening in our pop-up Facebook group. There'll also be competitions and giveaways to keep your motivation high. If that sounds good, then click on the link in the show notes to sign up. The challenge starts on Monday, October the 19th, and that's 2020. So make sure you sign up now if you don't want to miss out. Today, I'm talking to Vicky Jakes. Vicky is a goldmine of information about all the technology-related things which, frankly, frighten us when we started the business. In fact, she has 20 years of experience in building websites and now helps small business owners to create high-converting websites for a living. So we're really lucky to have Vicky here to talk to us today. Hi, Vicky. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rosie. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. So before we get properly started and all the technical stuff, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and what got you into the world of websites? Uh, yes, with pleasure. Um, so I built my first website just over 20 years ago. Um, this is when I used to hand code websites, as we used to call it. Back when MSM Messenger was the go-to social network of choice, not TikTok as it is now. And uh, years before YouTube, before Facebook, before Instagram, essentially. And um, I got into um, building websites after seeing a home learning ad on the telly after I'd graduated from university with a film degree, which Mm -hmm. I couldn't really do much with. Um, because there really wasn't a film industry in the UK back then. And I didn't fancy taking cups of tea to uh, grumpy actors in the rain, holding umbrellas above them for the rest of my career. And um, I, I was quite attracted to the concept of building websites because it it kind of um, uh, sort of scratched a niche I had about creating content in general, um, but also um, a kind of another itch that I've always had about an interest in like technology. So I ran through that course. It was part of the Hammersmith College. Um, uh, it was part of Hammersmith College back then um, and built my first <laughs> website and then just continued to build them in my spare time for, for friends and family. Um, I knew bands back then. I was like, hey, I can build you a free website. I knew um, club photographers. Um, uh, I knew singers. Uh, I, I just knew lots of kind of random people in my my sort of circle in um, in London, in Camden, um, that I would just make things for whilst I did my day job selling ads. People must and- have been so impressed. I, I think <laughs> you know, twenty years ago, didn't even have a computer. I don't think I had any idea what websites were. Oh, I, I had my own personal, my own computer by the time I was um, 21 and it was huge. And I used to cut, cart it from flat to flat that I would live in. And it always used to take pride of place in, in my bedroom. And I would just sit on, like you're talking about the tipping point of 10,000 hours. I've done that with, with coding, with applications. And um, 
for example, like I taught myself how to use Photoshop, which is a, a really popular photo editing um, application by buying magazines that you, you used to buy in WH Smith. That's like how to use Photoshop. And I would buy myself the weekly edition uh, because there were no YouTube bids and there were no forums like there are now. And I would literally go through the magazine and do the exercises and just learn like how to use the applications that way. But I got a bit savvier um, and I sort of sought out people who were a lot more technical than me. My brother was one of them. He was a computer games programmer by the time, working at a big software company by the time he was 18. And I, I made friends with others online on MSN Messenger. Um, and had resources and people that I could go to and ask to kind of help me upskill. Um, and, um, I, you know, it was always a hobby. I, I would love to have kind of made that into a, a, a kind of career, um, but I had to earn money. So I stayed in my sales job working in publishing. But then, you know, it was the mid noughts at this point, And the publisher of one of the magazines I worked for was like, oh, you're quite techie, aren't you? Why don't you come and sell some banners and buttons on our websites to, rather than selling ads in the back of magazines? Because I was someone that got websites and could talk about websites. And I guess that was like my first professional foray into the, the kind of the world of um, being paid for <laughs> being an expert in online, if you like. Um, and, uh, I knew as I got to that point that I wasn't interested in being a coder anymore. It's, it started to get a bit, a bit more difficult for me to keep up with the tech because it was so fast moving at that point. And actually what I really loved doing was the content creation. I loved working at the publishing company I was at. I worked for a really well-known design magazine and just like love that, that kind of side of the world. Um, so as I, I like moved away from them and looked for other jobs, it turns out um, that actually um, <laughs> the little experience I thought I had that would never get me a job, lots of people wanted. They were like, oh, you know about tech. And I, I'd be in interviews and um, the interviewer, you know, would pull that, that fact out of me. And all of a sudden they're thinking of new roles that they could come up for me. So I went through a role as a marketing manager for one website. And then I moved to another publishing company where I was a project manager um, for their kind of internal web team. And um, that was a, a great job, actually, because I got to work on like Heat Magazine and Kiss FM and work with some really high-profile advertisers. And by that point, I sort of turned around and thought, yeah, like this is exactly what I wanted to do, was create fun content, which, you know, magazine content, um, like consumer magazine content is, but also, you know, be really techie at the same time. Um, after that, like my, I would, um, I, I amassed quite a lot of um, knowledge very quickly because I took on a role that I had no experience for, but said I did and got thrown in <laughs> at the deep end. <laughs> yeah. And I was managing like these, sort of these 20, 30, 40, 50 grand websites, you know, with not a lot of experience and just sort of delivering them with a team, managing developers and designers, stopping everyone fighting, making the clients happy. And it turns out I had a sort of a natural gift for being in the center of all of that chaos as a project manager. Um, and so that's kind of where my career took off about 13 years ago after that. I ended up kind of growing um, my experience as a, as a kind of project lead, working and leading teams um, uh, across agencies, in marketing agencies, in advertising agencies. So, uh, you know, I went on to work in healthcare marketing, in event marketing, um, in social data as well. Um, I have been at the top <laughs> working at agencies with some of the biggest clients, biggest budgets in the world. I have worked on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of web projects. I've seen everything go wrong. I've seen, I've, I've won awards as well for my work. I've been comment, com, uh, commended for my work as a project manager as well. Um, but then, you know, I got to the point, I think, where um, as fun as it was, the deadline nature of that industry had worn me down. And by the time I had kids and I had to like remove myself from that environment for a bit, I was, I was quite happy to take a step back and reflect on the career that I'd had um, and you know reveled definitely in the experience that I'd had and the, the technology that I'd amassed um, but knew I always wanted to go and work with 
small business because I've been so far removed from them during my kind of corporate days working with the big clients and just wanted to talk to normal people again about proper businesses you know and, and stuff that mean that means like uh the, the difference between you know having a good life or not a good life not whether you've spent your your marketing budget or not so yeah like that that's kind of like where I've got got to today in terms of my career but like I said Rosie I, I think I've seen every type of website every type of app created they've been called all sorts of things over the years you name it platform um uh, hub that's what that's what the healthcare industry used to love calling a website back in the old days um and you know and uh, I think my experience at that agency level that kind of corporate level really serves like the small businesses that I work with today because you know I sort of bring a sense of humor <laughs> to it in terms Always of always helpful yeah in terms of you know it's just websites at the end of the day they're meant to be fun and I've n- I've never I've never strayed far too um I've never strayed far too much away from um that that sort of awe that I had about creating content just just for the hell of it and because you love design and you like communicating with people that's always like been really important to me yeah and what I really like about your story is that yes you like tech but you like tech for a purpose you like what it can do um and I think that's what is going to really resonate with the psychologists and therapists that listen to this is that you know, maybe if you're on the more techie end, like I am, um, I enjoy a bit of data. I enjoy creating stuff, but I only really enjoy it because of the ability it gives me to communicate with the people I'm trying to serve. And I think that's kind of the position that we're all coming from. We don't maybe have an interest in in learning how to code um, but we do have an interest in creating the website that's going to make somebody sit up and go oh I can be helped or there are people like me that also struggle with this thing that I'm struggling with and that's very much what I get from you I know that you're much better at the, the coding and you can do all of that but the passion for you seems to be in the transformation that you can give to people that you work with Oh yeah, like a hundred percent. I'm all about when I when I talk with the clients I have now, um, and the people who are in my membership now. It's it's not having a website for website's sake. It's having a website to earn your business money on online, essentially, and um, you know, seeing the freedom that that, mm. that can bring, um, even just in terms of communicating the message. Um, and the, the sort of the fast nature of being able to do that as well. I mean, I, I do find that um, some people, even now, sort of 2020, are quite um, reserved in um, taking advantage of the tech that they have available because there seems to be this, um, that's, that's available to them to grow their business because there seems to be this, I don't know, thread of, distrust about technology still that actually it's not a good life and it's not going to help you and one-to-one you know connection is in person is more important than doing anything virtually but I I just don't agree with that I've only seen benefits from businesses moving online and being able to reach more people and the 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 kind of the the technophobic approach (laughs) that some of my um clients who definitely aren't technophobic now of you know had when we first started working together and um, usually comes from a place of just not knowing you know or, or fear of growing their businesses essentially um, and when when they embrace it they can see it's not about talking about html code or, or php or anything like that it's com- it's communicating a message 100 percent. so and i think once you see it like that then everybody in every profession can get on board with why that's fun and why that's exciting yeah um but i think you know you communicate that really well whereas some other memberships and courses that i've looked at because the person designing it loves tech because they love to be plugged in with their headphones in a darkened room and not speak to anybody and that they just love it for a different reason i think their messaging doesn't resonate in quite the same way um yeah i I totally get that i totally get that i think um well like my my aim um is to 
is, is to never really talk about the tech too much, you know, is because it's very different 20 years ago to what it is now. 20 years ago, we used to have to hand code everything. We used to have to build systems. We used to have to design those systems before we built them and then test them to the nth degree before we rolled them out. But, but now there's ready built tech, like thousands and thousands of platforms for every type of marketing operation that you can think of um, that you can sign up for whether it's free or paid and just get get running and there's no excuse you know to to um to kind of not get on and create the content in terms of reaching your ideal customer online um or, or kind of creating the messaging or the communication on your website and <laughs> the people that that tend to kind of focus on on the tech like uh, I get this a lot on on LinkedIn in particular. If I'm talking, I'm, I'm a big fan of WordPress. If I'm talking about the platform, uh, you know, there's always someone who pipes up and say, like, "Well, you know, this this other platform is actually much better because of the speed and this and that and the other." I I don't genuinely I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. What I care is getting people like my ideal customer and my clients up and running as quickly as possible with a website and getting them out there with a marketing message to their ideal customer. I'm all about the speed. Like it, it, you can have a, a you know, a, a one page, two page website, if that's what it takes in order to get you online and start talking. If you procrastinate, if you think too much, um, if you overthink too much about the, the tech, then you're never going to get anything done, let alone writing the marketing messaging that you want to use to reach your ideal customer online. So yeah, like the tech enthusiasts um, don't really care about <laughs> you reaching your ideal customer. They just like pontificating about, you know, um, uh, uh, kind of Unix versus, versus .NET, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Nobody, no one cares about that anymore, you know, and um uh, it, it, you know, that that kind of type of debate stops people actually getting on and doing the work I find yeah and um, definitely everything that I talk about with um, the Doom One Therapy members is about connection and if you can make connection with the people that you're trying to help then that that is what gives the fuel to your marketing any projects that you're working on they will do well if you've co-created them with people, but you can't do that if you can't speak to them. Yes. And so that's always the priority for me and, and everything that I put out there. It's like, is this going to get people talking back to me? That's the purpose of my website. Um, and ultimately, of course, that drives sales, etc. But I just think that point you made about connection is absolutely key. Yeah. So I want to talk about some technical things um, that people can can do to improve their websites because I know there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who maybe they haven't set up their website yet um, because they're quite new into private practice or maybe they've got like a one pager but it's not doing a lot for them and it's just kind of sitting there so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about where you see most small business owners going wrong when they first set up a website well um, to the point we were just talking about uh, overthinking logo how many pages I can't possibly launch until I've got 100 blog posts mm. I, I see that happen again and again and actually that that's what happened when I first went self-employed when I left the corporate world and I started to talk to potential clients about doing marketing strategies online marketing strategies and they're like well I haven't got a website yet and they were planning in their minds six months to a year before they launched a website and like I've established, I think I've seen all of the things possibly go wrong in 20 years. And the common thing that goes wrong is overthinking and mm. not launching quick enough. Because if you don't launch quick enough, you can't test whether your content that's on your website is any good or mm. if anyone's actually going to resonate with it. So that's kind of like number one and a really big thing. It big so big in fact that I created a course right called the WordPress Bootcamp that I ran out in 2019. And I spent the summer running two beta tests of it, and we had over 200 small businesses take part. And my aim was to push as many of them through this three-week website build bootcamp to prove that you could do it quickly, and it doesn't have to be perfect, and you could carry on building a website 
like adding pages and tidying it up after you go live and getting through that fear of it has to be perfect. Of course, it doesn't have to be perfect. Is so, it better anyway for Google if you're updating content frequently? Love, yeah, Google absolutely loves it. I mean, as I say to my membership, right, your website is never finished, guys. Like You will always be tweaking and improving it. It's not a static thing, especially if you're writing new content, you'll want to have a look at that new content and see who's visiting it and, you know, where that traffic's come from and change your site accordingly. Um, so, yeah, like that, that overthinking, definitely a, a kind of a big online marketing killer because then your website is the hub of everything that you do in terms of marketing online. And if you've not got that live, then you're going to make excuses for why you're not sending out emails, why you're not writing new content, why you're not driving traffic with ads, why you're not looking at search because you're like, well, the website's not perfect yet. Mm-hmm. So if you can get over that hurdle, brilliant. And then by the time you have got a website, um, uh, I, I can find that the, the things that small biz tend to get wrong again is um, spending too much time on their website and not enough time driving traffic to it essentially lots of lovely new blog posts I've updated my logo I've done this and which is all good I'm a website girl totally get that but if you don't drive traffic to it it's just going to be sat there on the web total billy no mates essentially not not working for you and uh, like another phrase I use in my membership as well is like your website should be acting like a workhorse for your business. You know, you should be like an employee. And if you're not giving it any traffic, you're not getting any data from it, essentially. Yeah. And what, uh, just quickly, like what are some of the things that people can do to drive traffic to a website? So no people will be thinking, well, how do I solve that problem? <laughs> yeah. So there's three core areas that I talk about. So the first is using search engines and that's mostly Google, right? So if you can get your site um, into a space, into a place um, where it's what we call like search friendly, right? So Google, when it sends its crawl bots through your site, because that's how it maps the web, it sends these these bots through every single website the every few bots days. Sound terrifying, but it's, just, it's just... a bit of code. It's a bit yeah. of code essentially, but it's far out to think like that. But it essentially indexes every single website on the web that it can access, like a librarian, you know. With that's friendlier, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> less spider, more librarian, and it um um it it does that by jumping from website to website. So if you've got lots of links on your website, brilliant. If you've got lots of links from other websites to yours, that's brilliant. If you're linking out to other websites, that's brilliant as well. But getting your site search friendly, like the first thing you should do, because the strategy for that in terms of getting new people to come to your site who've just found you by putting a a search term or a search phrase into Google takes months sometimes years you know it it takes time don't ever believe anyone who's who's like I can get you to number one on the google search results you know for psychologists in your area or whatever it's just not going to happen um in a short amount of time it it can happen over a longer period of time but not a short amount of time unless (laughs) unless you're in the news or something like that yeah or or I suppose if you had a really tight niche but definitely, yeah. I think a lot of um, psychologists and therapists, we're creating content around subjects where you've got the big hisses making content on those subjects too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you wrote a blog post on depression, for example, you're not going to rank anywhere. You're just not because depression is written about by the British Medical Journal. It's written about by the NHS. It's written about by the BBC. It's written about by a thousand people who are going to have... Um, internet credibility yeah which i believe is sometimes called domain authority um, that is far far greater than yours um so that's why we need to get a bit more specific with our content but i don't want to take you too much down that rabbit hole um no i know we're gonna we're gonna cover that at at different points no totally and like doing that first Mm. Whilst that's happening in the background and your site's slowly building up that domain authority with Google, you can work on um, building your email list, which you put a sign-up form and collect 
users' emails, who've been to your website, because mm. everyone that comes to your website is probably, like, not everyone, but the majority of people who come to your website aren't going to take any action, right? So you need to convince them to leave their email so that you can keep remarketing to them, essentially. So having that set up on your website is super important. And then the third area... Um, that I talk about a lot is using ads in an intelligent way, whether that's Google ads or Facebook ads, like social social ads, but essentially using those platforms to retarget people who have already been on your website, mm. right? So you can capture people who've already shown you that they're, they're interested in you and your website. There are other ways, obviously, to bring traffic to your website, like being very... Um, visible on search uh, on being very visible on social Mm. um, and and kind of posting links on social but the issue with that is that the conversion that you get as in the people that take action from clicking on your link on on social is very low compared to those other three areas and also social networks aren't that keen on taking users away from their site their platform so they're less likely to show your link to your website versus some copy or some creative um, that keeps users on their platform Mm. and their algorithms are smart enough to differentiate between that and you know if if you've ever looked at the data for posts that you've put up on your Facebook page for example the reach that you get for posting a link to your blog is usually going to be less than actually posting a snippet of your blog content um for that very reason so i don't think you can rely on social to drive traffic to your website what you can rely on social to do is to warm up the community of people who've already connected with you because they've seen you know your website and found your links um but you shouldn't hold all those conversations over on social you should if you've got something to sell or you need to convert something you need to bring people back to your website um so it's those kind of key three areas and they're not the sexy areas because people want to they want to hang out on social because we're we're social beings you know it's easy it's easy to post something they've designed social networks so you don't have to think too much you don't have to write essays and, and write too too many words you don't even have to create very long videos i mean you know five years ago we were like oh gosh you know we have to create these long form videos uh, for social you know that we, we were getting used to doing on youtube for clients but you can do 15 second videos now and people don't mind they're not going to judge you and think that's really weird well they because, seem to be better yeah because our attention spans are shorter <laughs> as well the way that we consume we've been trained by social networks to to kind of scroll and consume content in a in a more snack-like manner (laughs) snack-like I love that (laughs) but but because of that you're you know you're not going to have deep and meaningfuls with Mm -hmm. your ideal customer over on social all you're going to be doing is just reminding them that you exist and so if you want to do the heavy lifting um with you know your business online you you do need to bring them back to a web page or your website um you you do need to kind of keep in touch with them by email so you you know you're visible in that space and you you need to make sure that you're showing up in search as well yeah I mean it's definitely been my experience that organically on social media if I post a link to something it's it's not going to go anywhere so that the members of the doing one therapy group actually will probably very much recognize that every time I've got a podcast I ask people who wants it and then I'll drop them the link directly um, individually because that's my way of trying to not make the algorithm penalize me. And these things change all the time, but it definitely seems that way at the moment. Um, Ads I definitely have used for driving traffic um, because when you set up a new website, getting organic traffic to it, unless unless you've got red hot keywords, you've done really well on that one. Um, that can be really hard and I certainly have struggled with it so I've had to spend a bit of money on ads Uh, but now my pixel on Facebook um, which is just a little bit of code that you can grab from Facebook to put onto your website so that it starts to track um, who on Facebook visits your website and matches them and now my pixel knows what kind of people have been on my website and that was really valuable to me so that was worth spending that money on um 
but it's the best it's really good the facebook yeah. pixel because and the, the reason why i teach it in my membership um because people join my membership thinking they're going to get help with websites and website integration and then i sort of pop up and go hey we're going to talk about facebook today facebook advertising and i was like what but it's because you can retarget people because of that pixel you've already visited your website and you know i'm sure like everyone listening is if they use facebook or instagram have seen ads pop up for websites they've already been on and that's by design that's a retargeting ad and they are insanely effective um because they're they're keeping up that um uh that that kind of uh uh point of contact with you you know that those i the number changes all the time rosie i don't know if it's 11 or 12 or 20 points of contact before people no. buy from <laughs> buy from you but it's just another way of you know keeping up that visibility with your ideal customer online mm. which just seems to be really crucial so Say we give a few of these things a go and we've worked really hard. We've got our website up nice and quickly. We've started driving traffic from those three different sources. How can we now tell if any of this is working and our website is doing its job? Oh, this is my favorite topic. So um, obviously you have to, if you are a website owner, have something called Google Analytics installed. Um, There are other analytics tools out there, but this one's free. And it will track anonymously the behavior and the data of the users on your website. And it knows where your users have come from and it knows what content they've looked at. So you can analyze and intersect that data to understand what channels, as in search, email, social, all of the things we just discussed, are driving the most traffic to your website and what content uh your users mostly looking at and again we're talking about this earlier like the sort of the 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 technophobic approach to like websites and data when i first start talking to clients about this there's a little glaze that appears on their Mm -hmm. eyes they're like oh no she said data but data is one of the most valuable things that we have as a as a kind of modern business owner and it's not just for eggheads or anything like that it's it's for everyone but you just need to understand how to find stories in the data and turn them from numbers into something that um that you know is is visible in your imagination when i see in, so looking in Google Analytics, you can see because of the way it tracks, it knows if a user is looking at your site on mobile or on desktop. And so when, as soon as I see that data and I see that users are mostly visiting uh, my website using their mobile device, all of a sudden I can see someone stood there and they're holding their phone in front of them looking at my website. And I'm thinking, well, why would you be looking at my website on your phone? Why aren't you in front of your computer? Are you out and about? Are you in the shops doing price comparison? You know, whilst you're looking at another product, you're looking at my website, you know, um, what, like, where are you? What are you doing? And then I, I look at other data to kind of start to build up that, that picture in my imagination. Like Google can give you a rough idea. It doesn't, all the data is anonymized. So it just um, takes a sample rate of data, but it can give you the, the gender and the location and the interests and the age of your website visitor. I think it does. I just want to check. Does it tell you what time people have consumed your content? Yeah, absolutely. So you can you can break it down um, by um, time of day if you're looking in the day view. But you can also look at real-time visits in Google Analytics as well to so see who's actually on your site and follow them through your site as well. But again, like you're thinking, well, what does that mean? How does that help me? It's like knowing these things can help build up that picture of the person, the real person behind the screen who's looking at your website, looking for your products or services, essentially. Because, you know, I find that if you can um, realize, like actualize that person in your head, it just makes it easier for you to create the content to reach them. I completely agree. (laughs) I created a a podcast um, and a mini course, actually, for the Do More Therapy members, 
all about why we should have ideal client avatars. Because sometimes we don't like that idea because obviously, ideally, no one would need our services. We're there for the hard times. We'd love it if people didn't have those hard times. So it can be quite difficult to think like, oh, ideal, that feels a little bit. Uh, And also, we're all about inclusivity. And so having just one probably wouldn't fit for us. But I do think you have to be imagining one person when you're creating content, which doesn't mean that you always imagine that same one person. But I can't write unless I imagine writing to another human being. Um, I think it helps so much. And what I always say to people is, especially if if you're making a clinical product, a product that's aimed to help people in a difficult time, I want to see if they're looking at it at one o'clock in the morning Because that is when you're going to have your phone out and you're going to Google the thing that is bothering you the most. And those are the kind of problems we solve. So looking at that data in Google Analytics and seeing, oh, I had a spike in traffic at one o'clock in the morning and it was mostly people that fit this kind of demographic, that can tell you whether you've made the right content or not. Absolutely. tell you if they looked at it for long. Absolutely. And if you were actually looking at the traffic sources and you can see that mostly that user you know and let's say like we've drilled down and we know you know she's a woman aged like they give you brackets but you can you can pick an age it might be wrong but you can at least pick an age so she's a woman aged 34 she lives in london she's using a mobile device okay she's looking you know at the site at 11 o'clock at night you know then you can look at the traffic sources and see okay well she's mostly coming from from search from google if you have another uh, google tool attached to your site which is called google search console you can see the keywords that people are using that are searching for that results in your website showing in um website results. but it also it shows you the res- uh, the keywords people are using to click on your site and you can see the search terms that are bringing people to your website as well and for a lot of my clients this is a you know a total pivot for them because they can see that the keywords they were hoping to be ranked for they are not (laughs) and actually they're coming up for others I didn't know that I would be a Google Analytics person this is what tends to drive most of the traffic I thought it was small business strategy but over the past six months actually people were seeking out answers about Google Analytics and really resonating with my content and, um, you know, I, I found that out by looking at Google Search Console. So that has impacted how I write my content, the conversations I'm having, mm. you know, uh, with you, for example, the, the sort of the extra training that, I, that I've been doing with my membership as well, because this is clearly something people are searching for and looking for answers for. But, but to your point, the final thing that you should be looking at in Google Analytics is the content that people are viewing. And so if you've spent hours and hours writing this amazing content that no one is looking at then you've got to have a long and you're getting traffic to the site you've got to have a long hard look at that content and think why isn't it speaking to my ideal customer because I have seen it all over 20 years like I said before clients creating websites that satisfy them and their um, preferences I've heard countless times well I, I don't like it I don't think the color works oh I wouldn't click on that and forgetting that your website is not for you mm. it's not for you it's for your ideal customer to find out about you just so happens you own it and you can you control the content that's on there but it's not for you and <clears throat> letting go of that emotional attachment and understanding you know that you're not creating content that your ideal customer actually wants to read that's a toughie that's a real toughie for some but you know it shouldn't feel tough because it's actually just data confirming something and you should just act accordingly and start creating content that your ideal customer is resonating with yeah and we're all about being evidence-based you know psychologists therapists we're all about that in our clinical work we wouldn't just go and use an intervention that we liked um without having data yeah i'm sure um, or hopefully we wouldn't. <laughs> um, and yeah, we do. I think we do forget that. The first website that I had, I built myself on Squarespace and it was gorgeous. Like in my eyes, I'm, I'm, no one else probably agreed, but I'm, I'm sure made, it was. I made it look beautiful for me. Um, but the text was really small and I knew that and I didn't care. 
<laughs> because I was just thinking in the wrong way. I was just thinking, yeah. you know, what aesthetically looks pleasing to me. Oh and it was God. probably true. If I could go back and look at all the copy and the writing I used, it, that, that was probably all wrong as well. Yeah. Um, because I think it takes time to get into the head of the people that you're trying to help and yeah. to kind of flip your psychologist's brain on to uh, when you're working on those things. I don't know why, but we all seem to have this block where we're really good at mirroring people's language. We're really good at kind of aligning with people and meeting them where they're at when we're in the therapy room. But then as soon as we, we're like working on our businesses, we just become really intellectual, uh, difficult to talk to people, yeah. which is just not how we really are. So I think it's a weird phenomenon that definitely happens. That's hilarious. You should you should definitely just let the, the data do the talking when it comes mm. to websites. And here's the thing, you're not meant to have all the answers up front, mm. right? So, and this is what Google Analytics or any other analytics tool is amazing to do because if you want to put, you know, uh, a, a page together about a particular service that you offer or write a blog about, you know, a problem that you solve, a blog post about a problem you solve, then, and no one clicks on that, that that should either make you change the headline. Um, You know, sometimes that can work to kind of make content more attractive because it wasn't something people felt they could click on. I see this a lot with blog posts where rather than saying, you know, um, uh, like how to get better sleep, you know, um, someone might call it something really fancy. Like the issue with lack of, you know, with... uh, uh, the issue with dreaming or something like that you know and it's 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 arty and clever or whatever not that that title was clever well, but I can the, imagine something like a discussion of, of different sleep interventions yeah you know, and actually that. what I want to read is um how can I get better sleep at night or how much sleep should I have at night and, you know and these are Top the things five that tips for a good night's sleep yeah and these are things users are searching for this, this is what your you know ideal customers actually searching for and using those tools to kind of back that data up um, you know should should help guide you and then you can like we were saying your website's never finished you, you continue tweaking and testing and tweaking and testing I mean I'm so excited and um, because Vicky is coming into the membership uh, to do a Google Analytics class for us and although people might be like oh that will be dry it's absolutely not dry it's so exciting when you really try and use the tool to get inside the head of the people that you're trying to serve. I just feel like it unlocks the whole business world. Um, so I'm very, very excited. I've I've had training from Vicky before in Google Analytics, and I just knew I had to share it with you guys. Um, so cannot wait for that. I'm really um, excited. <laughs> <laughs> and so I know we've touched on it a little bit, but I just wanted to ask you, kind of why do you think some blogs with really amazing content that is genuinely good and genuinely helpful just never get read by anybody? Oh, well, um, uh, I think there's a couple of things at play there. So it, it could be that um, once the blog owner has finished writing that content, they just don't do anything with it. Um, and they, they don't actively try and promote that content. And I get it because it's a lot to sit down and write for some people, um, especially like, you know, writing on demand once a week. I mean, you know, uh, or, or even more, you know, frequently if possible, because that is really good, like daily if possible. But that, that's, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's just, you know, out of reach for some. Um, I, I just did a five day challenge recently and we, we had over 600 people in this, um, this free group for a week, just looking at things they could do to improve their website. And one of the things I talk about is creating brand new content on a regular basis because Google loves it. And someone said, I would rather gouge my eyes out than write regular blog content. So, oh. well, you're going to have a blog that's, it was all in chest. It was hilarious. But um, so you're going to have a blog that's just sat there, you know, um, with your your blog posts from a year ago. <laughs> well done for you for writing them. But if you if you don't actively take those posts and take them out to people, share them on social, email your list, contact other bloggers and say, look, I've got you know, especially in your space, you know, it's a much smaller community than other industries. You can network with each other and share each other's um, links all the time. One of the tactics um, I still really like doing is a blog roundup, you know, where 
through a review and you curate content from your industry or your market from the week and you put links to useful content, um, you know, they're going to comment on other people's blogs. You know, all of these things make you visible online and um and, and active you know not spamming people with your stuff but just actively being in the right place where your ideal customer w- would want to view your work is really important um and so that that's the issue I, I i do know of other bloggers who've been blogging for years and have hundreds of posts but they they've never grown their site because they kind of write the posts and go oh brilliant all right I'll be back next week (laughs) off we go and then they they don't treat they don't they don't treat that post as if it's something that's long lasting they expect to get a little bit of traffic and then um uh the, the kind of traffic goes away usually when you you look at that in um in google analytics actually it it kind of there's a bump where you see traffic come to site and then it just disappears off forever and ever you should be rewriting that blog You should be changing the title if it's not getting clicked on. You should be updating it if it's got old broken links in it, Um, you know, or references, especially in your space, that are slightly out of date and perhaps need, you know, a a kind of modern day refresh. Um, You should be asking your audience what they thought of the blog post and then rewriting, you know, um, uh, kind of new content that that sort of... um, reflects that you've heard what they're talking about so you're engaging with them you should ask people to comment on your blogs you you shouldn't just treat it as something you've just written well done 10 points you know go and have a cup of tea kind of thing um it should be something that you you actively push out there because everyone does it with social this is what just drives me mad it's like people spend hours a day you know growing their social networks doing that but actually if you used to spend the same amount of time doing that with your own website content where you're actually selling your stuff like people can send you their details or pay for your stuff on your website they can't do that on social it's just conversations and yet we seem to find the lure of social kind of much more interesting Uh, you know I don't know so definitely like treating your blog like a social network (laughs) would be a good start I think yeah, and I think that I personally, if I haven't got new content for the website, I can't find anything to say on social. So my planning for social media very much comes from what have I got going onto the website? Have I got a blog post or a podcast episode? And then I'll plan everything I say on social to kind of lead towards that. And that might be because I'm you know, a fairly dull person, so I just don't have like personal stories and things that often I need a grain of inspiration to spark like stories and questions and stuff like that that I want to talk about with um with my audiences on on Facebook and Instagram um but that's very much the way that I work here I work out what my website is going to have on it and then everything else flows from that um yeah which I, I suppose is a useful strategy in some ways yeah, like like we were saying, you know, before, is your website's never finished. Your blog content, once you've written it, is never quite finished as well. If you keep republishing your content, Google loves that. It's it kind of considers that new because it can see the timestamp updated, mm. um, and it's a really underused tactic to help raise your visibility with Google. But also, it just it's it's kind of good for new people finding you to not find content that's you know two three years out of date um and you 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 should be monitoring the success that you're having with the content that you're writing and writing more of what people like and if they're not liking a particular topic that you really do want to talk about is you know challenging yourself to kind of um like rewrite it essentially um so yeah rand fishkin is like quite a famous seo guy he calls it i was just finding it here he calls it the spike of hope (laughs) right so whenever you launch a blog you kind of see the spike of hope in google analytics and then it trails off but actually your aim for a blog is once it's kind of you know got a certain amount of traffic is to just try and maintain that traffic to it and Mm. keep telling people about it and you know have you written a post a year ago that would be really useful to share again share it again just because it's a year old doesn't mean it's not important you know have you got a post from three months ago even update it repost it again talk about it again you know no one's going to 
um, uh, you know, uh, uh, put you put you on the naughty step for kind of recon <laughs> repurposing content. <laughs> like no one's looking, no one, everyone's really busy with their own content, you know. And actually, what you're doing is just reaffirming the same pillars of content and the same messaging for your business that you should be you don't have to write brand new content every single time not at all oh, that is such you're sharing so much wisdom um but I feel like that is really valuable because it took me a long time to realize that that yeah. people actually want to hear the same stuff from you several yeah. times because it's new for them it's yes not for you so you think you're being boring but yes. actually feedback from the people I've worked with um, has been oh it was really helpful that you mentioned that several times in different ways because now I yeah. get it yeah so I, yeah I think oh every psychologist and therapist listening to this that is a really key take-home message it's okay to post about something like say the compassionate mind approach post about one tiny part of that post about the fight or flight response a hundred times in different ways people are not bored because it's new for them mm-hmm. um oh yes vicky you're wonderful i'm so happy that you're coming into the membership to do a class for us um i've taken up loads of your time i really <laughs> enjoyed this chat it's been lovely to geek out with you yes i love a bit of geeking and um like i said vicky is coming into the membership to teach a masterclass on understanding your google analytics so if you're a Doom One Therapy member, by the time you're listening to this, that class will already be live and available for you. So if you're feeling the fear about understanding your Google Analytics, then head to the member site and Vicky can hold your hand through the whole process. She makes it really simple and I could just lose myself for hours in that stuff. Um, if you're not a member yet, then the good news is the membership doors are open. So you can sign up for your free trial now and get the class. If you do that and you're interested in blogging, I think you're going to want to stay because at the end of October, we're running a blogging challenge and November is our make your blog count month where we're going deep into how to make a blog really worthwhile for you and for your mission to help more people. So thank you so much, Vicky. I think loads of people are going to want to connect with you after this and find out more about your membership. So where's the best place for people to find you? Well, firstly, thank you so much for for having me um, onto your podcast today. It's been brilliant. And if people do want to connect with me online, you can just do a Google search for Hey Vicky with an I, Jakes, J-A-K-E-S, and my links to my website and all my socials should come up for you guys. Um, And yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, kind of delivering some Google Analytics love to (laughs) your membership very soon. Fantastic. And I will put all of Vicky's links in the show notes as well so you can find them there. If that episode has got you fired up to start reaching more people with your work, I just wanted to let you know about a five-day challenge we're running to help you get your first or best blog post out of your head and into the world so that you can help the people that need you. If you've ever stared at a blank screen, watching that cursor blinking at you mockingly, or if you've ever battled with an inner critic that thinks you don't have anything interesting to say, or if you've ever written a blog but nobody has actually read it, which is seriously painful, the five-day challenge will get you tapping away confident in the knowledge that your content will reach people and will help them. Over five days, we will choose a blog topic and title that people are actually searching for. Plan a blog that will engage and educate your readers. Write that blog in under an hour, which is possible, I promise. And publish the blog and track its progress. You'll get daily tasks and actions to take, including walkthrough videos. And there'll be a QA and a every evening with me in our pop-up Facebook group. If that sounds good, then click the link in the show notes to sign up. The challenge starts on Monday, the 19th of October, 2020. So make sure you sign up now if you don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.